It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, Rank Rats. Today is Monday, April 5th, 2021, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Colorado Hockey Ringcast. Today I'm joined by our staff writer, Craig Jones, and we discuss Philip Grubauer's career season, the success of the defensive group, and what could happen at the NHL trade deadline next week. Let's get right into it. And today I am happy to have Mr. Craig Jones all the way from the UK. Craig, how are you? Uh, good, thank you. Yourself? Doing great. We're uh, sitting in 70, 80 degree weather here in Denver. But, you know, if you know anything about Colorado, it could snow tomorrow. But we're enjoying the weather while we can. Yeah, yeah, we had that last week. Red hot. And then I think three days later, uh, freezing. <laughs> Yeah, it's touch and go, but you know what? I am I am glad that uh, a lot of Avalanche fans are now able to see their team live and in person. Doesn't matter, rain, snow, or shine. I think about four thousand people are pretty happy to be in the building there, and I know you'd be happy to to be in that building too. But uh, it's a little harder for you these days. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not ideal. Um, live sport with fans has still not arrived here, uh, so, so I'm missing it terribly. So I can only imagine the the feeling of those people. Uh, you know, when you when you get out of your car and you lock your car and you start walking to the building, that feeling of that like two minutes uh, is, is some of the best things that I've had in sport. And, and I can only imagine how people felt for that sort of two minutes before they get into the building. Uh, and obviously it went puck drops as well. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I've always felt like a really weird tingly feeling when you get inside the Pepsi Center, now Ball Arena, where you're on this long escalator up to the concourse. And and um, one of our writers, Marie Sexton, took a picture saying, you know, this iconic elevator ride where you're just kind of it's like a slow climb to heaven. Um, and then you finally get up there and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And I, I miss that. And hopefully I can, um, you know, get back to that soon. I'm a season ticket holder, but I kind of passed on the uh, I think they had a handful of home games left. And I just said, you know, I'm going to wait till I get vaccinated. But Definitely happy people are, are going to games, but I thought we could jump into some stats really quick, um, go over some individual um, accomplishments that some abs players have had recently, jump into some news items, and then we've got a bunch of really, really good questions to get to. So without further ado, 
your Colorado Avalanche are 25, 8, and 4, which gives them first place in the Honda West with 54 points. That's tied for first place across the entire NHL with Tampa Bay and the uh, Florida Panthers. Um, in their last 10 games, I know a lot of people have enjoyed this. The Avalanche are 8-0-2. Uh, They're riding a four-game winning streak. They've got the best goal differential in the NHL, plus 49. Uh, power play looking a lot better in the last couple days. Um, ninth in the NHL. That pesky PK, uh, second in the league. They used to be first. Um, they're, they're maintaining that, which is great. We'll, we'll touch on that later. And something I wanted to drop in was face-off percentage. Fifth in the NHL at 52.4% as a team. They're winning the puck a lot. Um, and we'll talk about that later too. Goals for about three and a half goals for per game, and then letting up just over two goals. So that probably explains their, their great uh, record right now. Um, as far as individual performance, how can you not start with Philip Grubauer? Uh, 23, 7, 0, and 1, a 929 save percentage. That's got to be a career high. 1.76 goals against. Guy has been lights out, phenomenal. He's in a contract year. Let's cross our fingers. He can uh, he can stay on the roster. That's been some, you know trouble for him before, but you know we're happy he's healthy. Um, the backup situation is something else that's different. We'll get to that too. Uh, Mikko Rantanen, 21 goals, 22 assists, sixth place in the NHL, and just behind him in eighth place in the NHL, Mr. Nathan McKinnon, who seems to be pulling goals out of a hat recently. Um, you know, being able to stick handle through a phone booth and and whatnot, but we'll, we'll get to that too. A um, couple of news items. The Avalanche have signed their 2019 first round pick, Alex Newhook, formerly of the Boston College Eagles, um, and also their 2018 third round pick, Mr. Sampo Ranta, um, from the Minnesota Gophers. Um, we mentioned before about 4,000 fans are allowed back into Ball Arena, and also uh, Ball Arena is is hosting a drive through vaccine clinic, which is which is pretty cool. So if you haven't signed up for uh, for vaccine, make sure you get those and and really good news all around. So so Craig, I uh, I wanted to touch on a couple of the injuries really quick. So that's pretty much been the story with this Colorado team over the last few years. Um, can they stay on the ice? And right now, looking at the injury report, we've got Bowen Byron, Matt Calvert. Obviously, Frankie's on there, Dennis Gilbert, Eric Johnson. I believe Val played last night. It's good to get him back in the bottom six. And now Logan O'Connor. So just touching on that before we jump into these questions, what's your take on on the Avs staying healthy and kind of the resiliency of a lot of these Eagles players coming in and being able to fill those gaps? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, a lot of injuries. Um I suppose if you're looking at a positive, the the thing is that we should say straight off, the Avs have had injuries, players going down, and we've never really seen a a decrease in the quality. Uh, whoever's stepped in, whether it's forward, defence, wherever, the people who have stepped in have stepped in and done a cracking job, and and the, they should be thoroughly praised for for you know the likes of Jacob McDonald. Uh, we'll get onto in a bit. Um, Logan O'Connor, who wasn't a guaranteed starter, they seamlessly transitioned. And and I think that's a, a big positive for the Avs, that the depth that we've got is sort of allowed injuries to happen. And it, with a shortened season, everybody's going to get injuries and everybody will get them at different times. And But the fact that the Avs have got so much depth, um, I, I, if, we've, if we're two or three players short, it means less to us than it would to another team. If, For example, if you take two or three players out of Minnesota, that would really harm them, uh, a team that's probably lacking in depth. Um so, so the players that have come in, they deserve an, an enormous amount of credit for what they have done and, and what they've brought to this team. And the fact that we can sit here 
top of the division when Jacob McDonald's been involved heavily, uh, Dan Renouf's been involved heavily, and, and other players. And but we're top of the division. You know that that's we we often sort of look at the injury list as opposed to the the standing list and the players that have come up. Obviously, we would all love to have Bowen Byram on the back end. We would all love to have Eric Johnson for more than the four games that he's played. Uh, we, to be honest, a lot of people have seemingly forgot that Eric Johnson exists for for the past sort of month or so. The reason we forgot is because of how good the players have done as they've come in and stepped up. Uh, you know, you, McDonald and, and Renouf, they're, they're not Eric Johnson, but you don't miss Eric Johnson because of how well they've played. Yeah, and... You talk about how amazing it is to be able to dig deep into your pipeline and say, all right, we've got an injury. Let's just put this guy in there. Um, I think the the big takeaway for me is there are some teams in the NHL who have first round picks. And, and this has probably changed recently because everybody's playing young guys, but they have first round draft picks who they just don't feel are ready and they have zero NHL games under their belt and they just burn out and they just never make, make the, the show. And Joe Sackick has this theory of, hey, if we're in first place, we have a luxury of, of putting guys in there and having them get NHL games under their belt and learn from winning culture. And, and if they're going to stay in the NHL, that's one thing. You know, Jacob McDonald's a phenomenal story. But if Jacob McDonald gets, let's say, 10 games under his belt and he goes back down to the AHL, he brings that confidence with him. He brings everything he's learned uh, and he's motivated to say, you know what? I'm going to try even harder to get back there. Or I'm going to try harder to get back there. And maybe it's for another team. It doesn't matter. But like the fact that the NHL is this carrot that can be achieved, that you can you can get it and you can learn so much up there. And Joe Sackick says, I'm going to try all these guys. You know, I'm going to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And I think that's great. I think that Dan Runoff getting 16 games in the NHL is phenomenal. And who knows? You build all these guys up. Maybe you have something with Jacob McDonald. You know, maybe he is a piece or maybe he's a trade piece and you, you can get a, a draft pick from him. Either way, you're building assets. And, and I love that. Um, so I, I, I want to kind of reel it back in um, and talk about the St. Louis series, which was great hockey. It, it felt like a playoff series the last couple of games. So I just want to know what, what were your thoughts um, after the clean sweep of the Blues, both one goal games? Um and, and did the Avs prove to you that they can go out, gut it out with uh, a tough team like St. Louis and pull pull out with a one-goal victory? Do you feel confident in them? Uh, definitely, definitely, yeah. I, if you look back to the first time we played St. Louis at the start of the season, they the game that they beat us, we, we were very, very poor. The game that we beat them, they were very poor. They, they were anomalies. If, if you look back two or three years, every St. Louis game that we play, is a tough battle that you're in. It's a one-goal game. It goes to overtime, penalties, whatever. And it's those sort of games that, that cup contenders win. And if the Avs play St. Louis, who who have not been at the best by no stretch recently, they've not been at the best, but you know full well that you're going into a battle with them. And, and it was a very typical St. Louis game, but we came out on top. And in maybe a couple of years ago, we, we maybe wouldn't have had the character to win that game or maybe the belief to win that game. But again, if we sort of go back to the previous point, it's it's that belief to win, but the belief when we've got Jacob McDonald and, and Dan Renouf and, and Liam O'Brien as well in, in the roster. And it sort of seems to have stemmed down as to these these Eagles that are coming up and playing. 
the Avs culture is sort of it goes well beyond the first twenty names on the roster. And I, I was very impressed by more so by the character that we showed this weekend. Uh, we we dug in, we we went hard against against a team that make it's very difficult to play against St. Louis. They, they, maybe even if on games when they're not showing the the quality that they've sometimes got, they they still make it very difficult for you to play them. Um, and, and their games, a game that the Avs sort of sometimes can't play, the heavier game. Um, so, so I was I was really happy with the the character that we showed uh, to to get two wins uh, and two big wins as well. Because obviously, this is a crucial time for us to be chasing the the top spot in the division. Absolutely, and St. Louis is kind of an old school type of defense. You know, they they have the wall that you have to get through in order to get pucks to the goaltender. We're talking Robert Bortuzzo, 6'4", 216. Justin Falk and Vince Dunn, both over 200, 6 foot. Gunnarsson, 6'2". Um, Colton Pareko, 6'6", 230. Marco Scandella, 6'3", 212. This is not something uh, <laughs> that you can just dance through. And I think the Avs did a pretty good job of taking the defenders wide and really trying to open them up, make them skate, use the back of the net. Um, they were really creative, but you also saw, you know, I, I think Jared Bednar was like, look, we got to grind these guys out. He took that bottom six, uh, you know, with Val and, and Tyson Jost, they were cycling. I mean, <laughs> it was phenomenal to see like, Hey, Hey, if you want to come get it? You're going to have to, you know, take it from me on the boards and I'm just going to kick it down cycle, cycle and have real long shifts because he knew that those defensemen would, you know, their legs would die out eventually. Right. So that was really cool for me to see is, you know what, if, if we're not going to skate through you, we're going to skate around you until you get tired and then, and then try to make opportunities. So that was really cool. And, you know, you, you sort of touched on what the Avs have done um, recently to kind of climb the standings. Uh, March was a really, really kind month to the Avalanche. Um, they won 12 of, of 17, uh, but April's got a lot more games on the road. Um, you're, you're facing St. Louis a lot, who we haven't seen a, that much this year up until now, and then Vegas for another series. So, how do you expect the Avs to finish, um, you know, the end of April and then a little bit of May? I think it'll be much tougher than, than March. I think anybody expecting the, the same run-through that we've had in March will, will probably be disappointed. Um, I think road games matter less at the minute. Even if there is fans in the building, there's not enough to, to really make it a tough atmosphere. Um, the way that the schedule's set, playing day on, day off, it, it doesn't really matter whether you're travelling or not. It, it's tough for, for everyone. Um, and and so the Avs might be travelling away, but then the, whoever they're playing will also be travelling back home. Um, so it, in many ways, I quite like the schedule as it is, uh, and it helps teams on a roll because you've not got time to think or to change things between games. You just jump off the plane, play a game, win, back on the plane, day off, win again. So I, I suppose looking onto onto what we did in March, uh, momentum again is the key. And if the Avs can have a good start, as as we've seen this weekend, uh, there's no reason why they can't go through and win. Um, I, I'm not worried about any team. There's no team in the league that in the division that scares me or or that makes me think, you know, well that's probably two points dropped or whatever. Uh, we're the best team in the division. Let's let's roll and and see what happens. You know, something that I've been thinking about recently is the fact that we've only seen uh, a few teams outside of our division. And I guess they're all in the division, right? Um, <laughs> I think it's just going to be weird when you hit the playoffs and you have to play a team like Chicago. You haven't played them all year. Everybody's got different rosters, right? Nobody's the same year in, year out. 
and it's going to be such a shock, you know, in, in non COVID times, you, you play everybody at least twice in the regular season, home and away entire NHL. And they changed that several years ago because, you know, it's just great to see every team at least see each other a couple times. And now, you know, because of COVID, because of the bubble, you are going to, you're going to see teams that you haven't seen with completely different styles and you're going to have to adjust. So exciting times for the playoffs, but that's, that's a little bit uh, further ahead of of us right now. Um, I wanted to pull back and, and talk about the goaltender situation. So Philip Grubauer has been lights out. You know, he's had injury problems in the past and that's kind of just the cloud that's been over his head is can he stay on the ice? And in a contract year, he has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, he's He held the team together when the offense wasn't going earlier this year. Um, he's been the one true constant for the Avs. And people weren't really convinced that goaltending was a strength. Coming into this season, people might may have said, that's their weakness, you know? And it's been the opposite. It's been Grubauer putting the team on his back, and it's been, been a lot of fun to see. Now, um, do you think that his success is a product of his individual performance, the defense, or both. And then kind of following that question, um, what does that mean for his contract next year? What could that look like? Well, I think both uh, is, is the answer for me. I, I think Grubauer has been excellent. Uh, I, I wasn't against Grubauer at the start of the season. I was only against him purely for health reasons. If, if you could sort of guarantee that Philip Grubauer's fit for, for the entire season, the, the Avs probably don't need him to play as well as he's, he is playing now. What what Grubauer's doing now is, is just essentially a bonus. The, the Avs would win a lot of games if Grubauer wasn't as good as what he is. The, the fact that he is, is is one of the reasons why many people consider the Avs to be the favourites for the Stanley Cup. Um, in, terms of, in terms of his contract moving forward every good performance is adding a few dollars onto the contract, really. If if you were to re-sign Grubauer at the start of this season, uh, you probably wouldn't be giving him much of a raise of what he's on at the minute. Uh, you would probably sort of be giving him four million a year, say, four and a half million a year. Compare that to the six million that Jordan Binnington's just being given by St. Louis, which, which, which is awful, by the way. Um, if Binnington's worth six, then what is Grubauer worth? Seven, eight... But then if Grubauer's worth eight, I don't see how the Avs can afford an $8 million goalie when you look at some of the other salaries that's that's on the team. Um, so it's, it's going to be a puzzle this summer. It's going to be a big puzzle. Something that you kind of have to think about and, and you kind of have to reference, even though it's not apples to apples, is uh, Varlamov. And the Avs, I believe, signed him, what was it, uh, five years, $6 million a year, something like that. And he was good. He he was solid. He was top 15, I think, for the most part. Um, but he had trouble with injuries. So I think it's a very similar situation where he's been injury plagued. But, yeah, I mean, he's like having a Vesna type of year. Um, it puts the abs in a really bad spot. But, you know, good problems to have, right? You're you're getting yeah. tons of performance out of Grubauer. The question is, is he the answer long-term? And, and I think he's 29 or 30 right now. That's not old for a goaltender. You know, he could probably play another uh, seven or eight years, which is great. Um, just the question is, is he the guy? And I, I think you have to wait till the summer um, and the offseason to see what is his playoff performance like. If he carries this into the playoffs, the Avs are going to have a really, really good shot um, to go deep this year. And 
it's it's nice to see that he's having a, a rebound because I, I guess he did change his offseason regimen, his his training. I think he got a new new program, so he looks good. Says he feels good. Um, they they've worked him a lot this year. I mean, he's been the horse. I think he has the most minutes uh, as a goaltender in the NHL. So that leads us into the second question: Is <laughs> if something does happen, let me hear you knock. Um. Is there a bailout? You know, um, Frankie's been MIA. Uh, we don't know that if there's possibility that he's coming back, but they've had Hunter Miska, who fans seem to have turned on recently just because, um, you know, they haven't liked his performance. And then uh, Andreas Johansson, who's come in. But, you know, to me, he, he does not look comfortable between the pipes. Um, he's floundering, losing, losing his position a lot. I think he's good for giving group hour a break during the regular season, but I don't know if he can hold it down in a playoff game like that. Um, small little head mistakes of not hugging the post or, um, you know, not getting quick enough to the other side or things like that. I'm not, I'm not a goalie. I, I, I can't judge him, but it just seems like he looks uncomfortable. So I'm um, kind of with that, you know, do you, how, how serious is, is this situation with backup? You know, can they go into the playoffs with these two or do they, are they going to have to reach out and get more, a more experienced backup goaltender? Well, well, the first one, if Francis, I'm just going to assume that he's out for the season uh, because surely if he was getting anywhere near available to play over the next sort of three weeks or so, he would be on the ice and seen by now. And he just appears to have disappeared off the face of the earth. He's. I'm going to assume that he's gone. Um, what I would have preferred the Avs. I think the Avs will only bring in one netminder, so I don't think they will bring in anyone else. Uh, I think they've chose Johansson, and they, that's their guy. Uh, what I would have preferred is the, the Avs are, are inches away from a Stanley Cup. Johansson may well be the guy. He may well be the guy, and I, I hope to God he is. But if you're so close to the cup. Why take a slight risk? Why not pay that little bit more and go and grab whoever who's got a bit more NHL experience and, and you're more secure with? And I, did, I think the Avs paid a sixth rounder for, for Johansson, I think it was. Uh, go out and spend a third or, or a fourth or, or, or a third and a fifth or whatever and give yourself the security. This year is not the year to be taking a chance, in my opinion. It's the year when you go with certainty. And I would have much preferred, as I said, I don't think they will do anything else. I would have much preferred uh, the Avs to have gone and spent a higher draft pick for the security of someone with a bit more experience, with a, a bit more uh, NHL experience, playoff experience if possible, and someone who's been around a bit and who we can feel comfortable with. Wouldn't it be nice to go into the NHL playoffs with... Um... Robin Lanner and uh, Mark Andre Fleury. That's a decent tandem, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah. That, that that's the thing that we dream of. Um, yeah, it's the it's, it's a massive concern for Avs fans, and it, it, the, my sort of main gripe with with the management side of things is that this is something we've seen for two years now, and if you put a fit netminder in the Avs net, they're Stanley Cup finalists last year why potentially set yourself up to make the same mistake again this time around when, if anything, the team that we've got this year is better than the team that we had last year. And and they've got even more chance of, of getting to the final. So, so why, 
give, I mean, hopefully, as you say, touch wood, Philip Grubauer leads us all the way. But if he doesn't and the same mistakes are repeated, then if you're repeating the same mistakes year in, year out, then to me that is slightly bad management, not overall, but from that microscopic view of a, of a third netminder in theory, if, if you count in Franco's. I agree. It seems like we were having the same conversation last year is do the abs have enough in goal? Should they trade for somebody at the deadline? We didn't do it last year. So I think they will. I think they will go out there and get somebody. And I think one of the names that I heard was James Reimer. Um, you know, somebody who can handle a playoff game, not a Hutchinson or Johansson. We need somebody who doesn't look like a deer in the headlights, somebody who's been there before. So I'm completely with you. Um, shifting over to the, who's in front of Grubauer, um, the avalanche defense, it seems to be the story of the season. Great PK, great team defense. Um, even after countless injuries, um, the big one, obviously Eric Johnson earlier in the season is what the abs are doing sustainable going into the playoffs. You know, can they go in with a Jacob McDonald and a Dan Renuff? Or, you know, hopefully they get Byron back. Um, who's also a question mark, you know, he's, he's been great. Um, great uh, hockey IQ, but he hasn't been there before. He's a rookie. You can't expect him to to carry the team in just his rookie season. But um, is what the Az are doing on defense sustainable right now? And do you feel confident? I think it is uh, on the assumption that there are no more injuries. Um, the, the the period where Macar was out on top of, of everybody else, and, and all of a sudden. Uh, Jacob McDonald's playing 22 minutes a night or or, or Dan Renuff's on 16, 18 minutes a night, you would be worried about that in the playoffs and, and you would be worried about the sustainability of their play under the, the playoff microscope as such. Um, but assuming that their roles can, can continue to be managed and, and the players above them are able to keep playing the minutes, then I'm, I'm more than happy. I, I think over the last last two games over this weekend, Dan Renuff only played around six minutes a game, which is putting pressure on the other the other Avs D-men. But if they're fit and they're capable of doing that, then then I'm more than confident in, in Dan Renuff playing more than six minutes if he needs to, as long as it's not too much more. But it, I suppose it's sort of uh, game management and, and time management and splitting the time right between the, the defensive pairings. And as long as you're not asking players to go over and above what they're capable of, as long as you've not got Renuff and McDonald playing, like say eighteen, twenty minutes, then then I'm more than happy with this Habs defense. I, I think we're we're rolling pretty much. I think I, um, Ryan Graves has been a a, a a slow burner, but an improver recently, and and he can handle big minutes. And he's sort of allowed the others to to sort of take a back seat. Uh, and we're not relying on McDonald and Renouf as much as we were maybe, say, three, four weeks ago. Um, so as long as the top four keep logging the minutes and they're fit and healthy enough to log the minutes, I'm more than happy with McDonald and Renouf on the back end. Obviously, Bone Byram would then become part of that conversation. Uh, he's obviously got a lot more upside about him. Um, but I don't know. You probably couldn't play Bone Byram and Jacob McDonald as a pairing on the as the bottom pairing really together. So you, you're forcing someone to play more minutes because you'll probably have to drop Ryan Graves down to play one of those to, to balance things out a bit. I, I think actually a, a Byron McDonald pairing might, might be a bit scary. Yeah. Well, one guy I wanted to spotlight is Devin Taves. 
um, who the, the Avs acquired for two second round picks over the summer. Um, he has the highest average time on ice on the team, 24 minutes, 33 seconds. Uh, he's second on the team in plus minus plus 20 had, he missed some games earlier in the season, but, um, Craig, this guy eats minutes for breakfast. Um, <laughs> he's reliable. He can hit, he, you know, he can put the puck on net. It's, it's nice knowing that you have defensemen like that in, in your top six or on, you know, on your defense, um, that can just get out there who aren't going to do anything stupid and, and then just get off the ice, get on, get off and just keep things going, keep the puck deep. And that's what Devin Tays is. And I think he's a really good compliment to someone like a Sam Gerrard who wants to skate in circles all over the place. And, and Gerrard is kind of like a, a unicorn in that way that he's just, nobody takes the puck from him really. Um, and Devin Tays is just kind of out there making great outlet passes. I think one thing I noticed with the abs this weekend, even though it was tough in the neutral zone as always against St. Louis, but They've been really good in transition where earlier um, I wouldn't have guessed that, you know, they had trouble getting out of the zone, but now it's just boom, boom, boom. They're off to the races and you see the abs forwards doing their thing. Get the puck up to the abs forwards. But, you know, in your opinion, how, how big has Devin Tays been for the avalanche this year um, as a newly acquired defenseman? Uh, he's been incredible. He, he really has been incredible. If Taves and Gerard look like they've been playing together for a decade, uh, they've had 30 close to 40 games together. They genuinely look like they've been a pairing for, for many, many years. They've got so much understanding with each other and they know where each other are. They, they're forever swapping around, which which only confuses things for the opposition. Uh, they, they're fantastic together. Um, but in terms of Taves himself, I would say on half of the other NHL teams, he would be the number one defenseman. I think maybe half of the teams would have Devon Taves as their number one rock-solid defenseman. And he's like the third best defenseman on this Avalanche team. And and it sort of goes back to that depth that we, we sort of began this conversation about, just how much depth. Not only is, was Devon Taves an absolutely fantastic acquisition, and and he is, I mean, two, two second-round picks is, if you happen to get those slightly wrong, then two second-round picks is nothing really nowadays. But imagine bringing that in and, and not really needing him to be your number one. You, that's just like sort of your secondary defensive pairing and what he's on. And he, he's been exceptional and he, he offers a bit of everything. I think he's very good at getting out of his zone and setting play up. As you said, transition play, we've, we've been very good recently. But his ability to, to look up the ice and pick up a pass and, and keep things relatively simple... Um, you know, go back to two, three, four years ago and the amount of trouble that the Avs had getting out of the zone and it, it was ridiculous. And, and he's he's just sort of does things with ease. And he, he this sort of two seconds and he's, he's looked up, he's seen someone, he's got a pass and all of a sudden the Avs are at the red line and, and there's players turning around and skating backwards in a hurry, the, the, the opposition forwards. Uh, so I, I really like that part of his game. Uh, he's been excellent. He's been very cheap. His contract's very cheap. He's... He, you can sort of just see that he, he just oozes quality on the ice at all times and he, he makes things look very, very simple. Uh, and he, he's been fantastic for me. Really, really top draw. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And um, I feel like both you, both you and I have been waiting for this question. Um, and it's about Jacob McDonald, uh, somebody who's been in the AV system um, not that long, but he's just. Somebody who they kind of brought in, I think he's like an older AHL guy. What is he, 28 or so? 
26 or 28. And he comes into the Avs lineup kind of just as like an emergency fill in like, Hey, somebody got hurt. We got to, we got to, you know, Byram's out. Let's just get this guy up here and figure it out. So they put Jacob McDonald in. Um, I remember his first couple games he had, you know, I think Bednar was really impressed with him. And, and uh, I think after the game, they asked him, you know, is, are you just going to ride the moment or what, what, how do you feel? And he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm playing my game out there. I'm doing what I can do. I'm showing that I want to be here to stay. And, and since he said that, you know, he's got five points. He's played, uh, let's see, he's plus 13 right now, <laughs> which is phenomenal. Obviously he's on a really great offense, um, but he's played 25 games in the NHL after being an emergency call up and they don't know what to do with this guy. It's almost like he's, uh, playing so well, they just can't take him out. Um, so, so my question to you is, where does Jacob McDonald fit in the organization, and what what could they do with this uh, diamond in the rough that they just found? Yeah, he's he's it's as though I, he's played like twenty plus games now, and we're all still sat waiting for him to make a mistake, can't we? <laughs> we're sat waiting for the. For, for the McDonald moment where everybody rushes on Twitter and says, actually, Told you the so. experiment's over. Yeah. Um, but, but it's not come. It's, it's not come at all. He started this season uh, ninth on the depth chart. He started ninth on the on the depth chart. And he's come in, and you're sort of at the start of the season, if you get down to Jacob McDonald, you're, you're in big trouble. <laughs> if you've got that many injuries, you, you get down to Jacob McDonald, the, the Avs are in a bit of trouble here. But they're not. <laughs> That's the thing that they're really not. Um, I mean, I was the way that he plays the game and, and the few eagle. I, I saw a few Eagles games last year for him. I mean, he, he plays forward sometimes. High risk, high reward. But it's at AHL standard. Kale McCarr plays plays a risky game, but Kale McCarr is one of the best NHL players there is, and so the rewards from Kale McCarr are massive, even though there's the odd blip. Uh, but but McDonald's an AHLer, a career AHLer, really, without sort of putting that as a detriment towards him. Um, he came up, and my first thoughts was, providing he doesn't make any mistakes and just limit the chances that he gets on ice and limit his time to sort of six minutes, eight minutes, and we'll, we'll get by. But no better than that, we'll get by. But go back to when, when McCarr was injured three weeks ago, and, and like I say, Earlier on, McDonald's playing twenty minutes a night, and and he's still not making those mistakes, and he's been thrown into big situations because of there's just no option other than to play Jacob McDonald, and every single question that has been asked of this chap, he has answered it. He he's not backed down. He he's not done anything. I think he must have really worked on his defensive play, which is a credit to him. He keeps things very simple in his own zone. Uh, he's more flashier in in the offensive zone, and and you, you genuinely don't really know what he's going to do or where he's going to pop up in the offensive zone. To, to be honest, it, there's a bit of mystery about him still. Um, but his defensive game has been exceptional, and he's been a, he's been a very strong positive for me. But as I said, it's as though we're all still waiting for him to to sort of end this by having a colossal two or three games where there's many mistakes and, and the real Jacob McDonald stands up and, and I get the feeling that everybody's waiting to see that, but he's, he's just not coming and, and he just keeps rolling and, and while everybody's rolling, then let's play him and let's keep him going. Yeah. I, you know, I think the, the one thing that really stands out to me about Jacob McDonald is his gap. 
Um, you you spend your most of your career in the AHL, and you're playing against guys who are you now the forwards aren't as fast, or um, it's just a little scrappier. And and you see Jacob McDonald come in, and you expect for him to just get burned, right? <laughs> you expect yep, for yeah. for guys to just chip it off the wall and go right around him. And you know he he does get in the play. He he jumps in the rush sometimes too, but you know, he has really good instincts when the puck is turned over. He's making those really nice C cuts, getting, uh, getting back and making sure that he's keeping up with those forwards, keeping a stick active. And you don't see people just go around him. It's he keeps the player and the puck in front of him and he, he's physical. He's got a lot of good attributes and it's kind of nice to see that. And if there's anything, uh, a silver lining to the abs, not being able to stay healthy, it's them finding players like Jacob McDonald. It's just phenomenal that they can keep developing and, and getting guys in, involved and, you know, not missing a beat there. Um, they had a, the abs had a player, I think two nights ago who started the series. Um, they had his debut with the avalanche, Liam O'Brien. Um, and I believe that, uh, O'Brien was acquired, from the Islanders, you'll have to remind me which which trade that was. I think it was. Um, it was like a actually maybe that was the Burroughs guy. I, I can't remember. But um, so Liam O'Brien makes his debut, and he's kind of what he calls a sandpaper guy. And <laughs> um, you know Logan O'Connor is a sandpaper guy, but he's not going to drop the gloves. This guy is going to throw down. And um, I, I wrote an article a couple couple weeks ago about do the avalanche need an enforcer you know there's so many of these injuries uh the one injury that comes to mind is the eric johnson one um in a minnesota game you know it's just it seems like people are taking runs at avalanche forwards and you know not really having any uh repercussions for that so i i love when guys like this come in the lineup and it almost immediately he gets into a fight with the blues players and mixes it up and and i feel like sometimes with, with playing teams like the blues or the wild that you have to get down to their level um, and just kind of say, Hey, you want to play this kind of game? We'll play that kind of game. But you know, what do you, what did you think of Leon O'Brien's debut? And, um, do, do the Avs need these kinds of players kind of moving forward, um, in the playoffs? Well, I think he did exactly what, what was expected of him. Uh, I think he did exactly that. He, he brings something different to the team and th- there's the argument as to whether he's he's as quality a hockey player as whoever he takes out the lineup. So obviously Logan O'Connor's injured at the minute. So in terms of those two, that those two comparison, Logan O'Connor is the better hockey player. But Liam O'Brien brings you something that Logan O'Connor can't bring you. So it's not necessarily that he's going to be in the team because he's the better hockey player and he's one of the twelve best forwards on this on this roster but he'll be in the team because he brings you something different, which you need against other teams. And, and St. Louis is, is a prime example. Vegas, again. And in my opinion, and I, I do agree with what you're saying, the Avs do need a, a Liam O'Brien type on the fourth line when they play those teams. And not all the time will, will that be needed. So if, for example, you look back to like when the Avs play um, Arizona or L.A., who have not got the physical aspects, you would probably much rather have the, the smaller, quicker bodies in there to take advantage of them, as opposed to an O'Brien who won't be as effective against those players who those teams who are not as physical. But when you're coming up against a physical team, the Avs do sort of tend to get a little pushed over. And, and I know Dan Renouf for when they played Vegas last week, but 
the first Vegas game especially, the, the Avs did look a little lightweight. And if you're playing a seven-game playoff series, I think that becomes even more important. So if you're playing Vegas once, then you, you can sort of get away with it and just deal with it and move on. Play Vegas seven times, and I think you do need Liam O'Brien. And, and like I said, I don't think that Liam O'Brien is one of the 12 best forwards to get on there, but I think what he brings means that he do he could maybe get a spot if, if the Avs played Vegas, for example, in the playoffs. I agree. I, I think that the Avs depth is going to mean a lot. You know, Depending if you're playing uh, Vegas or if you're playing... I don't know, St. Louis, those heavy teams, you should be able to change your lineup and cater it to what gives us the advantage. What personnel can we put in the lineup that helps us go toe-to-toe? Because we saw last year against Dallas, they just didn't have it. They didn't have enough. Uh, It was just too heavy. You know, you can put as much talent on the ice as you want, but if you uh, are only given a certain uh, door to go through and you don't go through that door, you're not going to win games. Um, I think if you look... Sorry, if if you look at the the like two potential fourth lines that the Avs could possibly put out, you put Jost, Comfort, O'Connor together. That that gives you something. But then if you were to put Belmar, Calvert, O'Brien together, give you a completely different look and a look that would work better against Vegas. Whereas the first look would probably look better against Arizona, for example, who who are you don't need to play that heavy game against Arizona, but. It's sort of again it, the the theme of this talk so far, going back to depth, and the fact that the Avs have, have essentially got two fourth lines that we've just mentioned. That you know teams cry out for that kind of depth, and and that's what teams will be aiming to buy in in, in a week's time at the deadline. But it's there, it's there in Colorado already. We've we've got our options. We can match up how we feel is best uh, and move players around d- depending on what's needed for each individual situation. I think one thing to acknowledge here, and, and not a lot of people understand this who are just kind of casual fans, and I, I'm a little more than a casual fan. I'm not an expert. I, I never played. But um, just talking about intangibles, about what what you can bring to a hockey team. Not, not everybody is Wayne Gretzky, right? And I think that that's the misconception is that if you're not scoring points, then get off the team. And I think that that's not uh, <laughs> something that you can measure every single hockey player. You know, there's 12 forwards, six defensemen. Um, people bring different things to uh, to the game, and that's a reason why they're in there. And hockey coaches see that. Um, whether they block shots, whether they, you know, have don't give up the puck, whether they uh, can make a big hit, can bring energy. There are all these, like, intangible things that hockey players can do, and fighting is one of them. Liam O'Brien can do that. He can bring you that kind of... Uh, extra grit or, you know, just guys that make plays who don't necessarily score points. There's a lot of things that players on the ice can bring that is, is not points. And uh, you look at the bottom six and everything is situational. You know, the top six guys are going to get every single offensive zone opportunity, but the job of the bottom six is to give them rest. Number one, be able to cycle, be able to maintain possession of the puck and also Great defense, right? Defensive zones. It's it's not Nathan McKinnon back there. It's uh, Belmar. You know, it's Calvert. It's all these guys. Nachushkin. Um, their job is get the puck out of the defensive zone. You know, it's the call to tilt for the re- for a reason. And their job is to get the puck in a position where you know the top guys can score. And I don't know. I just feel uh, that the bottom six. There's a lot of options right now. And guys like that's why our whole team is obsessed with Logan O'Connor because. This is a guy who has his motor on the whole freaking game. 
Um, the minutes that he is out there, he's creating opportunities. He's hustling. He's getting the puck back. He's fighting. And I think that those types of intangibles um, make the bottom six really likable. And um, that kind of leads me into this next question um, about probably the most controversial player on the avalanche is Tyson Jost. Um, first round pick. Um, his contract expired last year and they gave him kind of like a one year prove it deal to figure out, can this, does this guy belong in the bottom six? You know, maybe he came out of college too early and he hasn't quite figured it out, but he does show flashes, you know, a lot of those intangibles sometimes of, Hey, this guy has really great office of offensive ability, but he can also take his game down to like a third line checking role and, you know, have the speed and skill to, uh, to, fight for pucks in the corners and things like that. But kind of in your, in your eyes, has Tyson Jost done enough to, to stay on the roster and keep him around long-term or, or do you need to see more? No, no, he's definitely done enough. Uh, I think the first thing that Avs need to Avs fans need to do this season is, is get into their mind that we need to forget where Tyson Jost was drafted and we need to forget what he was brought in to do. Forget all of that, take it all to one side and just look at his play this year. Uh, he started on the fourth line and he was excellent. And there, there's many games at the start of the season when the Avs were playing very well and the fourth line was contributing massively, not on the score sheet, but as you've just sort of alluded to, doing other things. And if you look in games and, and you'll see little situations in games where you'll see the fourth line cycle around the boards and they'll have the puck for 30, 40 seconds. And then all of a sudden, uh, let, let's say Belmar gets a line change and Nathan McKinnon comes on. And he's coming on against defensemen who, who have been run ragged for like 40 seconds and they can't get a change. And then all of a sudden, Miko Rantanen comes on. And and if they have score, then then that goes McKinnon assisted Rantanen and Makar or, or whatever. But actually, that's assisted the fourth line because they've done the work to start off with. And I thought Tyson Jones was excellent at that. Uh, Logan O'Connor, as, as you've mentioned, is another one. And you can sort of put any combination of that Avs fourth line together. We, we, we've seen so many combinations and they've been fantastic. But Jost has been the one of the players who has stuck around and played, I think, pretty much every game um, until he's moved to this third line. And he moves up to the third line, and all of a sudden he, he brings points to his game. And he, he's never going to be the the top scorer that, that he was drafted to be. But if you, at the end of the day, you can only sort of compare what, what you want if he's been paid that. But this is a guy who's been paid eight, 900000 a year. He's been paid to do a bottom six role, and he's doing a bottom six role fantastically, regardless of where he was drafted. So forget about where he was drafted. Uh, forget about the expectations when back, what, four years ago when he was drafted, whatever. Just look at him now, and he is a, a shining light on, on an exceptionally good bottom six. The Avs have got a very good bottom six, and, and Joe stands out over and above uh, many of the others. And he will get a pay rise next year. He deserves to get a pay rise next year. And I hope that he gets the pay rise with the abs and stays here. Although obviously cap's going to, that's very, very tight. So whether we can afford a Tyson Joe's, but he'll go out and double his money next year. And he'll go from being less than 1 million to being up to like 2 million. And he will thoroughly deserve it because he has been excellent in the role that he has been put in. And I will also add to that, sorry, uh, penalty killing. How good has, has Tyson Jones been on the penalty kill? If you, I mean, Matt Calvert's an exceptional penalty killer, but he's been missing for half the season. Let's not forget Matt Nieto was one of the best penalty killers in the league, and he left his Avs team. And Tyson Jones and Logan O'Connor, uh, we've not even seen a difference. It's been 
of the same high standard. The, the penalty kill has not dipped in the slightest, and, and Tyson Joe's played a massive, massive role uh, as part of that. I, I wish you uh, more fans were like you, Craig. I think <laughs> I think it takes a lot of maturity to say, "Hey, forget that this guy was drafted, you know, twelfth or seventh overall." Um, that's that's honestly the measuring stick that everybody uses is where were you picked in the draft, and that's held over a lot of players' heads. And um, you know, there's always these invisible expectations that they're held to, and it's it's not fair in in most situations, right? Um, it's literally just where you were picked compared to your peers, right? It's not really about you. Um, it's about how many really excellent players were ahead of you. And sometimes those players don't even pan out. So it means less, right? Um, so I think in the situation of Jost, yeah, let just take it for what it is. You know, in, in my opinion, if you draft a guy, whether it's the first round or the sixth round and that player is on your roster, that's a win. There's, I don't know what percentage it is, but it's, it feels like 10 to 15% of draft picks actually make it and you actually get return value out of them. Uh, there's just a lot of guys who, you know, they can leave after four years of college. They can go to the AHL and just never figure it out. Or, uh, you know, they can go to the NHL and never figure it out or, or the EC, uh, ECHL. So um, the fact that Tyson Jones is still on the team, they clearly like him. He's a fit. He can contribute. That's the key word, contribute <laughs> to the team. Um, I think it's great. And like you said, if you just forget about uh, his expectations as a rookie, um, then you can realize, yeah, this guy's doing the job that he's being paid for, which is which means a lot. All right, I got a couple more for you. Um, we're almost getting to 50 minutes here. Sometimes when you uh, haven't talked abs for a couple weeks, it's easy to go over <laughs> <laughs> but Let's um, keep rolling. this this is a question that you actually wanted to, to discuss. And I know that we have di- a difference of opinion. And that's the uh, elephant in the room that is Gabriel Landeskog. Um, the captain of the Colorado Avalanche uh, does not have an extension as of today. Um, he's, I believe, making five and a half million this year. He's due for a raise. Some people say he's one of the best power forwards in the NHL right now. 27 years old. Uh, what do you do with this guy? Uh, you have Kale McCarr who's coming up. You have Brandon Saad who's a free agent. Um, there's some money coming off, but it really depends on what McCarr does. Is he going to sign a, a bridge deal? Or is he going to sign a player-friendly deal? Uh, or is he going to command seven, eight million? You got to sign Grubauer. There's a lot of money issues. So, Craig, I'll, I'll give you the floor, and then I'm going to take it back uh, aggressively. Brilliant. Well, I'll repeat the the line that I gave to you the other day. Uh, Gabe Landeskog signs a, a new deal, uh, leads the Avs to three cups. <laughs> Day after he retires as an Av, his shirt's in the rafters, uh, and that's it. Gabe Landeskog's one of the greatest Avs players to ever live. Um, the basis of that is is this: there's been no talk at all about a Gabe Landeskog extension. Right, he, he's the captain of this club. Uh, in terms of not necessarily in terms of on the ice, but off the ice. Uh, he He's a fantastic captain and he's the most important player at this club. And everybody's got the utmost respect for him. He speaks very well. Um, and if there was any issues with this contract, then I'm convinced that by now, either party would have let something slip and would have there would have been talks. Throw into that the fact that Landis has got a very young family and this is not the time for for him to move house at all, let alone potentially move to the other side of America, uh, which 
plays into the hands of the Avs. Uh, he's he's been here through the bad times. He's we we are in the good times now, but but the good times are potentially going to be even better for years to come. Um, he, he strikes me as the sort of player who would just love to just be a career Av, uh, which leads into a sort of a, a hometown discount as such. And for me, he 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 will get a raise. Uh, Seven million, let's say. If that number starts with a six, then that's very favourable for the Avs. But but I would say seven million a year. Uh, he signs a long term deal. He what six years, let's say. Uh, and, and as I say, he, he leads us to three Stanley Cups. Um, tell me why I'm wrong. Well, it starts with a six year deal. Um, that would put Landis Gag. He's 28 right now, so that would put him at 34 years old. And how many times in the NHL have we seen guys sign that second big deal into their thirties and there's no good return or there's injuries, you know, there's the Ryan Kessler's of the world. (laughs) Um, That's a particular case, but I I think that it just depends on what you want to do here. You know, I I think Joe Sackick has a, a lot of loyalty um, to Landis Gog, you know, he's been here, he's been the captain since he was 19 or something like that. Um, the, like you said, a lot of respect for him, uh, within the organization, but, uh, if you sign him to a six year deal, you're going to be held up against, you know, the wall of the cap for the next six years. Um, you're going to have le- less flexibility. And I think the question you need to ask yourself is what is life after Gabe Landis Gog look like? Um, is it, Something that you can manage. I mean, you still have Nate McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, who they've invested heavily in. Um, you could bring back Brandon Saad. You've got Burakovsky, Kadri. I mean, yes, that's that would be a huge loss, but I I just feel like letting him walk would be a better answer um, for the long term. You know, you, you're investing in Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram, and the, the young guns of the future. You got Alex Newhook coming up. Um, no one's going to replace Landis Gog. And I think that if you take the emotion out of it, which is very difficult for a lot of Avs fans to do, the right thing is to let Landy walk. And it look, it sucks. He's he's probably in his prime. He's great. Um, he's somewhat durable. You know, I, I think he means a lot to this, to the locker room. And that's where I'm going to agree with you is you take somebody like that out and is, you know, is Nathan McKinnon ready to, to be a captain? Probably not at 25 years old throwing helmets at people. But I just think that for the long run, if you, and this is what Joe Sackick has been so great at is managing the cap, being smart, signing guys early, getting them on long-term deals that are team friendly. Sam Gerard, 5 million. That's going to look phenomenal when he's 27. Uh, Devin Taves looks great, but you don't really see him sign guys at this age long-term. He's up. Saad is up. You know, he likes that sweet spot from 22 to 28. He wants guys signed long-term and good deals there. You don't see a lot of guys above that age into their 30s making that much money because that's how you kind of get tied down. And then you're just in cap hell. So I'll, I'll swing it back to you. And I, I hate to, you know, have the number one reason of why they should let him go about the money, but it is. I think you just got to rely on this. It's a young man's game and he's done so much for the abs, but I think it just may be time for him to move on. Yeah, yeah. The way that I, I look at it is is if you're releasing Landeskog, then you have to replace him. So how much does his replacement cost? That That's the first thing. But then 
if you're releasing Landeskog, does that mean that you're more likely to keep hold of Brandon Saad? So if you keep hold of Saad, who's on six million a year, let's say obviously his, his production's been lower than when he signed that deal, but but if he's still going to ask for five million a year, then do you make two million worth of cap fit further down the line uh, to to bring back Landeskog instead of Saad? So so for example, is is your choice? Uh, Landeskog with Martin Cow as a regular fourth liner against Brandon Saad, who's cheaper, but you're paying more because you're keeping Tyson Jost as your regular fourth liner. And, and it, if it comes down to something like that, then I, I just see that the I see the Avs sort of sticking with their captain and, and the one who's been here for the longest. And th- there's going to have to be a, a lot of juggling to be made with with this cap to make things fit. It's going to be very difficult, and and whoever is the accountant on this Avs team is going to going to earn their money. Um, but I I just see I, for the sake of one or two million, which which you're going to have to pay probably five million for a replacement first line left winger. Um, the Avs could do something else, and, and if you sort of let Sard go, then then in many ways Jonas Donskoy sort of just slides up and slots into that second line, and the answer to your second line problem is already there. And, and obviously a third line problem is much easier to solve than a second line problem or a first line problem. Uh, so so I, I, I understand what you're saying and I, I, I'm on board with the money. But to me, the, the main priority this summer is to re-sign Kael McCarr. And the second priority is to re-sign Gabe Landeskog. And, and while ever your second priority, there's more things can be done down the line. Uh, I hope anyway. Um, to sort of make that second priority fit, and like I say, it could it could mean uh, that we lose Tyson Jost. So we've just been saying it's absolutely excellent, and and that would be a blow to lose Tyson Jost. But to me, if the Avs are looking at losing Jost, but that like sliding and say Martin Cow or, or somebody else from the Eagles, uh, so that they've got that extra million in cap space to throw at Landeskog and keep him, then then I think that's what they'll do. I just look at the Avs books and I, I think that Joe Sackick is doing such a great job and I don't, from top to bottom, I don't see anything that, that screams, this is a bad deal on the books. Every team in the NHL has bad deals. The Dustin Browns, you know, formerly the, the Dion Phaneuf's of just guys weighing down what you can do and how nimble you can be and how flexible you can be. I just remember the avalanche being that one team that made the playoffs and they, uh, you know, pick bow and Byram four. They're just this anomaly. They're, they're taking advantage of how to handle the cap, how to win and how to bring in good players year in, year out. And I just don't see them giving a contract of this length and this, you know, quantity to Landis Gog at 28. It, it just, if you look top to bottom, look at cap friendly and just see this, see the books He's giving long-term deals to guys that are in their lower 20s, 22, 24. You know, Nathan McKinnon's going to be a, a different conversation, but he's going to give a long-term deal to McCarr and Byram and guys that he can invest in from ages 20 to 30. And I I, I don't know. I, I feel like if they give the deal to Landeskog, it's going to handicap them. And, you know, maybe we get a cup, but... I think he's doing this for the long haul. You know, I think with, with good teams, there's always this mission and it seems like the Avs want to be good for a really long time. And this is just one of those hard decisions they're going to have to make. And they're, they're holding off until they can't, uh, you know, they, they actually have to make the decision, but you know, just looking at the books, they're making investments in their young guys. And I, 
you know, maybe Landis Cog says, Hey, maybe, maybe I sign a two year bridge deal and get to 30, but you know, his agent's probably gonna be like, look, you're 28, you're playing great. Uh, you're probably at your, your peak. You're going to want term. It's not about the money right now. This is, I want a five year deal. I want security. I've got a family, you know, I want to be in the NHL until I'm at least 33, 34. And I just don't think the Avs can give him that right now. It should last point on this though. Just with, with Kale McCarr. Uh, remember when Kel McCarr signed in the league and he played those two playoff series uh, back when, when he first joined the Avs and had he not come into the league then, his extension would have been next season and pushed down another line and it, it would have just spread things out nicely for the Avs but but they sort of jumped in and took McCarr straight away and, and I wonder if they're, they're thinking about that and, and he came in and he was brilliant, don't get me wrong, he was, he was absolutely fantastic but the Avs actually gained nothing other than a bit of playoff experience for McCarr and had he not made that jump then and come in the, the year after, then next year would have been the last year of his ELC, and that would have been pushed down the road. And just it's another problem to to just sort of leave and not have to solve this year. This the summer's going to be massive for the Avs, really. If you, if you look that if you sort of you either got to sign Grubauer or find a new number one netminder, you've potentially got to find a new captain and a new leader of a locker room. Um, I mean, let's let's say that the let's hope this doesn't happen, but let's say the Avs get to the Stanley Cup final and then lose in game seven. Um, the, the actual, the hit on that locker room, and then a few weeks later, you take out the leader of that locker room. And how, you know, how will that, how will the team respond from that? And I get the feeling that off the ice, it's, it's going to be a massive summer. Uh, a lot of things to to think about and p- potential mistakes to be made. And, and, and at a crucial point in this, as we're sort of, beginning our genuine cup run as such. Well, that, that leads us into our last uh, question of today from uh, at Cajun Packer on Twitter. Trade deadline is next Monday, April 12th. And I don't know how much the abs have on their, their books, but what what's on your wish list? What, what do the abs need? Um, I think they can probably, you know, finagle some sort of trade, but um, what do you see the abs doing? Are they aggressive? Um, you know, do they do they really go for it? Are they all in? Do they get another goaltender? What's what's Sackett going to do? I don't think they'll get another goaltender. I think they they've always set themselves up to get one, and they've chosen their guy, and and that's their guy. I, as I've said earlier on, I'm not convinced he is their guy, but but that's the one they're sticking with. Uh, I wrote a piece two three weeks ago, um, which was just after the Avs had signed Johansson, um, which which was the first highlight. Uh, the, the second was a, a third line center, and since writing that, Tyson Jost has, has become one a fantastic third line center. Um, so sort of solve that issue. And the third one, which I think is the most likely, is a stay at home defenseman, a, a, maybe a bigger body, um, someone who can just sort of sit in and not take the risk. You know, if you're wanting to go for a lower risk game and pull out Jacob McDonald. Uh, and put this in, which is sort of leaning towards whether Eric Johnson will or will not play. Um, you know, an, an Eric Johnson type to to maybe sit at the side of Bowen Byram on the third pairing instead of you, you sort of risk reward Jacob McDonald factor that we've got, and which has been brilliant. But maybe in the playoffs, if let's say that the Avs go down in a series and they just want to really sort of try and shut a game down defensively, would there be better options than Jacob McDonald to do that? So I don't think they'll be too aggressive. I think they'll 
at the most they'll bring in two players, but I think it'll just be one defenseman. But purely because of the, the sort of the, the, the emergence of Jost over the past two or three weeks has negated the the massive need for a third line centre. Um, JT Confer was struggling, but but he's not really a centre. And I think over the last past sort of two or three games, we've seen that he's not a centre, and, and he's maybe not playing like the JT Confer of old, but he's playing a lot better. Uh, so if Tyson Jost keeps going, uh, we, then the need for a third line centre is probably not strong. So I, I would go on the back end and, and get a, a bigger body, a stay-at-home defenseman, someone who, who sort of Mr. Dependable as such. I think the Avs go all in. I, I think that Sakic has traded his seconds in the next two years. He's traded his fourth and his sixth. Um, he has a first, a third, and a fifth next year. A first, a third, a fourth. So he's got all his picks except for second next year. Why not? Just say the last couple years we've been close, uh, dangerously close. W- what do we need to get over to get to the Stanley Cup? And if it's another top six forward, if it's somebody who gives them an edge, you know, s- somebody who is just a nightmare to deal with um, come playoff time. So, you know, I think there's been criticism that the Avs are a little too soft in the playoffs or just trying to be all skill. Maybe you bring in somebody who wants to put some guy through the glass, right? Like it, it, that that's not going to cost that much, but you have draft capital. Um, you have your first round picks the next three years. If, if you want to go out and you think that this is uh, a real big opportunity for you, while Kale McCarr is cost controlled, while Bowen Byram is cost controlled, while Nathan McKinnon is cost controlled, my God, he's got the best contract in the league. Um, yep. The time is now. So if there's a guy that you can bring in for half of the season to get you to the Stanley Cup, I'm not saying win, but everybody has picked the Avs as this up-and-coming young team to watch out for. they got to prove it. I think Avalanche fans are saying, all right, you know, we're bought in. We, we think we can win, but now we really have to prove it. The Blues did, got over the hump. Um, you know, there's Vegas has been doing incredible things. It's time for this Avalanche team to say, "Buckle up, we're in it. Let's let's put, push our chips in, in uh, into the middle and say that we're all in." And I think that Joe could do it. I, I really do say, "Let's just roll the dice this year and make sure everybody's healthy and go in guns a blazing and let's bring in uh, a guy that can really get us to the final." What do you think? If if that is the case, and, and it could well be, don't get me wrong, it could well be. Then does that sort of bring on the importance of another netminder? Then is that what you say? The importance of another netminder is definitely there then, because if you're going in and getting this second line forward, and and all of a sudden your your third line, uh, if everybody's healthy, is has got sort of Andre Burakowski and Jonas Donskoy as the wingers with whoever at St. Tyson Jose at centre, which is would be the best third line in the league without a doubt. If you're buying all in and you're going and getting another, another forward. Surely to God you don't leave yourself open on the back end like what the Avs have left themselves open for the past two years. Um, so, so does all in mean three three players in or four players in maybe? Well, I'm just I'm reading an article here um, that was from the 24th just a week ago, and their trade deadline targets. They've got uh, Taylor Hall. I, I've heard Sam Bennett's name linked with the Avalanche, which would be really interesting because he is a nightmare to deal with. Um, Matthias Eckholm, Dustin Brown, 
Nick Foligno, Ryan Getzlev, that would be crazy. Um, Granlin. <laughs> that changed the other day. Getzlev's not coming. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Pat Marlowe, Kyle Palmieri. Um, there, there are guys out there. Um, Pat Marlowe would be really interesting, but I... I don't know. I'm I'm kind of thinking goaltender is huge. I, I don't think they need a top six forward. Bringing somebody with experience, even like a Nick Falinga, would be cool. I mean, that guy's tough as nails. Um, he's their captain for uh, the Jackets. I just think it would be a huge statement and a huge boost in confidence if they got somebody who's really playoff ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um. It's sort of, it, I suppose, like like you say, it, it all depends on how much they want to push those chips in, into the middle, and and they're sort of sacrificing uh, a potential piece in the puzzle this draft summer or next draft summer or or wherever. But when you think the amount of youngsters that are on this roster, and then like we've not even talked about like Alex Newark as uh, potentially coming through and, and being a a top draw center for this team and. The abs of the players that other teams will be bringing in with their draft picks, they're already sat there in in playing for the Eagles or or playing their junior hockey or whatever. And uh, the abs don't necessarily need draft. Obviously, you always need draft picks, but you don't actually necessarily need draft picks at the minute because there's no one who really needs replacing other than people who you are happy to let go. And that's the crazy part about the Avalanche is that they have a stocked farm system, even though they're in their win now mode, that the window is now. So they could do a lot of things. They could trade their picks. They could trade their prospects. They could trade Alex Newhook. They could trade uh, Connor Timmons. Uh, they could trade Martin Cow. Any of these guys, Justin Barron, all up for sale. You know, as long as you can get the players you need to, to get to the Stanley Cup, it, it'll be worth it. And I think that they're at a really position of strength right now to say, yeah, we, we want to, we want to deal right now. Um, we want to bring in somebody who's going to get us to the next level and really help us because in my eyes, I think they're a little better, but they are not immensely better than last year. You know, the Tave signing was great. Um, bringing in Brandon Saad, two-time Stanley cup winner, also great. I feel like maybe they just need that one. You know, there are a lot of these NHL teams that trade for that, one player who is very skilled, who's experienced, and who maybe is on the brink of ending their career and just needs a Stanley Cup, like a Pat Marlowe. Um, how much is Pat Marlowe going to cost? He brings so much veteran leadership. Does he want to move? I mean, he's done it with Toronto. He's done it with uh, the Penguins, trying to get to the mountaintop, um, which would you know cement his career as one of the all-time great Sharks. But... Um, is that something they need? Do they need just veteran leadership? This is a really, really young team. Yeah, I think if if you look at the, the back end and and take away Eric Johnson, we, I sort of spoke um, when Eric Johnson left left and, and went on his concussion protocols and has not been seen since. And it's not necessarily the quality of play that you get from Eric Johnson that's the big miss. It's, it's his leadership. But the reason it's his leadership is because all the other players are so young. I mean, you you spoke about Jacob McDonald, twenty five NHL games. He's never played in the playoffs. Um, Dan Renouf's never played in the playoffs. Bone Byron's never played in the playoffs. If those players are making up your defensive core, then you do need someone to to for, for want of a better word, look after them. 
uh, and to show them the way. And the the need for experience on the back end probably does depend on whether Johnson comes back or not. Um, if the Avs have got a feeling that he's not coming back, then going down the experience route, I, I would much prefer as opposed to going and getting someone who's younger or uh, or maybe even someone who they bring in for a, a two years rather than one. If if there's if there's no Johnson, then it's a, to me a short term deal and a, a player with experience, preferably a, a Stanley Cup winner. Um, like Brandon Sard's been there and done it, and I, I, that's a positive thing. And is that enough, or do the Avs need a bit more of that? You've got to think. Go back to the start of the season. Uh, the Avs straight away Ian Cole, who was the the Stanley Cup winner on the roster. Um, and, and on the back end as well, who, who you would happily play, you would play Bow and Byram at the side of Ian Cole or Eric Johnson uh, every single game, and you know full well that whatever Byram does, he's going to learn so much from who he's playing with, and from the experience that they've got, they can sort of coach him through the game as such. Uh, but the Abs don't have that if Eric Johnson's not there. So, so maybe someone like that on the back end rather than the front end uh, maybe of more use, but as much playoff experience and as cut winning experience as you can get in that locker room is only going to help. Uh, uh, before we get out of here, a name that just screams off the page to me is Dustin Brown. Um, this guy's former Kings captain, two time Stanley cup winner. Um, he's 36 years old, but he's still productive 22 points in 34 games. Uh, he's been a problem on the Kings books, 5.8 million for the next two years. If we can get them to retain some cash, you know, maybe 1.8, get him for 4 million over the next two years. He's got a modified no trade that brings a lot of experience to the locker room. Um, and I don't think that he's a pylon either. <laughs> I think he's, um, you know, could definitely be the piece that says, you know, follow me to the promised land. Um, and I, you know, he's not afraid of hitting anybody. And he's a guy who can stand in front of the net. I think someone like that could do a lot for this team. Yeah, yeah. There's many names like that, and whether it's whether it's Brown or whether it's someone else, it's it's the same sort of mold. Um, but I think sort of the bad side of it is is this is something that everybody's looking for, really. That you know the Avs are not the only team looking for a, a Dustin Brown. Um, you can sort of see like Toronto going and signing someone like that. Um, over in the, you know, Tampa Bay have, have sort of been there and done it, but they've always brought a player or two in at the deadline and usually someone with experience. Um, Florida all of a sudden have got a ton of cat room because Aaron Ekblad's injured. Uh, th- there's people, uh, teams, uh, people who run teams who are looking for, for pretty much, obviously there'll be some looking for defensemen, some looking for forwards, but the actual mould of the player, what everyone wants, is what everybody's looking for over this next week. Um, nobody's looking for no playoff experience on, or people who haven't won a cup. Are they? That's what everybody wants for this next week. Uh, so, so obviously, there's going to be a bidding war. But, but go back to your point, and and the Avs have got the whether you look at picks or prospects, the Avs have got the money as such uh, to spend, which some other teams don't. Yeah, it's really going to be about can they find a dance partner? <laughs> Who, who's got the best uh, package deal for a Dustin Brown? I can't believe we're actually talking about this because <laughs> <laughs> Dustin Brown has been uh, maybe not so desirable as of late. But um, for somebody who's winning a uh, trying to win a Stanley Cup and you know one piece away, I think you got to take a, at least take a look at him. 
Uh, Craig, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I will definitely have to do it again. I think we surpassed a, about an hour and 15 minutes together talking abs hockey and um, yeah, wouldn't have uh, picked a better person on Easter to chat some hockey with. So really appreciate your time and uh, we'll, we'll do this again soon. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, it's been lovely. Uh, two busy men and, and seven hours time difference, but eventually we've got there. <laughs> That's right. Okay, take care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for downloading and supporting us. You can follow Craig on Twitter at CraigJones29, and you can find all of his articles at therink.com. And make sure you're following us at The Rink Colorado. A very special thanks to our sponsors, Puck Hockey. With the promo code THERINK, you can save 10% on all purchases at puckhockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. And until next episode, see you on The Rink. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.